Thanks for joining us. We love getting to share the message of God's grace with the entire world. If his message has impacted your life, would you share your testimony with us by emailing it to stories at graceorlando.com. We love to hear what God is up to. You can also give in support of this ministry by going to our website and clicking on the Give button at graceorlando.com. Thanks again. Good morning, Grace Church. How's everybody doing? Hope you guys had a great Christmas um, and you got everything on your wish list. I know I got a backpack. Maybe put on the live stream what you got for Christmas. I think we, we want to know what you got for Christmas. I think it's pretty important, you know, but um, really do hope that you guys had a great Christmas. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're going to have a good time this morning. I, I'm going to teach uh, a, a lesson or a message today uh, that I taught uh, with the youth this year. Uh, we did a series, I think it was like a six or eight part series, and so this is one of the messages that, we, that, that I pulled out. I got to teach it back here in the class uh, that Eric Platt teaches every week. And um, so we're going to share that with you this morning and hope you guys enjoy it. So um, how many of you guys uh, have watched Jurassic Park? Maybe comment that on the live stream. How many of you guys have watched Jurassic Park? I would say it's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, I do think at some point they need to stop with the Jurassic Park, like two, three, yeah, like we can kind of work with that when they're going into Jurassic World. I know Chris Pratt did a great job, but... At some point, you got to stop. You know, there's just, it's kind of getting monotonous, but I don't know. That's just my opinion. But I, I think one thing that I love about Jurassic Park is it, it always brought attention to discovery, right? Like discovering things. And that's one thing that I do um, just throughout my, my life. You know, I'll, I'll be walking down the street and I'm looking down and I'm looking for things on the ground. And I don't know, that's just something I do. I go to the beach. I'm always looking for shells or shark's teeth. Uh, I'm not very good at it. Um, but I do it, and uh, there was this one time, I was 15 years old, and we were living over on the other coast, and I was walking down this dirt street, and I found this little uh, rock, kind of stone-looking thing in the dirt, and I started to dig it out, and as I was digging it out, I found out it actually looked a lot like um, some type of bone, right? Some type of bone, and when I dug it out, uh, the more I looked at it, it looked kind of like it was fossilized. It had a, kind of a dark tint to it. And so I just thought, well, that's neat. Um, that same year, uh, in ninth grade, I remember one of my teachers had uh, said that they, they had a friend that was a paleontologist. And I thought, I'm going to bring this fossil into them and see if she'll bring it to her friend. And so I brought it to her, and she said, yeah, I'll bring it over to my friend. And then uh, I'd ask every single week, like, hey, did your friend... Um, did they happen to take a look and see what kind of fossil it is? And she's like, he's still looking, um, just be patient, no big deal. And so every week this happened, probably for two months, to the point that I thought maybe the fossil is gone forever. Maybe the paleontologist uh, decided he was going to hit the road and sell the fossil and it was worth millions of dollars. Or I don't, I don't know. I don't know what was going on. But I kind of gave up and about three months in, she came in with this excitement. And she's like, Matt, she's like, I, I found... My, my friend found out what that fossil was. And I'm like, what is it? And she's like, it is a mastodon bone. And I was like, that's awesome. What is a mastodon bone? Because I had no idea what a mastodon was or anything. And so if you don't know what a mastodon is, it, it's a smaller version uh, of a woolly mammoth. It's kind of the Americanized woolly mammoth, if you will. There's a lot of fossils that were found here in America. Um, they're a little bit smaller. They're three to five tons instead of seven tons, which is what the woolly mammoth is. And um, they have 
stranger-looking tusk, and their teeth are kind of shaped strange, uh, but a very similar type of creature, right? And so um, she apologized. She said, man, I, I know it took a minute to figure out what that bone uh, or that fossil was, but what he was doing was he was going, uh, the paleontologist friend, he was going from museum to museum and comparing it to all sorts of skeletons, and, um, and, and he just, it took a while because the he, she said the only way he knew what it was is if he could see the whole picture, if he could compare it to other fossils and see the whole skeleton kind of thing. And so I would say that that is how scripture is. Uh, like if we take one scripture and we isolate it, right, it can almost sometimes be kind of confusing. It can be like, well, what is that verse talking about um, if we isolate it? So it's important that we compare it to other scriptures. It's super important to the whole counsel of God, if you will. Um, so let me give you guys a specific, all right? I, I feel like we should give a specific when we dive into it. Um, but First Peter 1.15 through 16, it's in the NIV, it says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now the question I kind of want to ask today is why would Peter tell us to be holy, right? This is the New Testament. Why would he tell us to be holy? Would Peter seriously dangle this scripture out in front of us and expect us to figure out how to be holy, right? As if it's our job and not just any holy, but as holy as God is holy, right? So did he think it would be really funny to kind of torment, torment us in that way? This scripture isolated sounds a lot like we are not holy and that we need to become holy. Really, it's the age-old question to be holy or not to be holy, that's the question, right? So what's funny is we sing songs about being holy, right? We sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. I think that's what the song, I don't, I don't know exactly how it goes, but, uh, but there's tons of songs written about God being holy. Um, and there's, there's things that are also called holy. There's the Holy Bible, right? Uh, there's holy scriptures. There is uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, we serve a holy God. There's even, in some churches, there's even something called holy water. It's what we scare the vampires with away, right? And there's even this thing that we're still trying to figure out what it actually is, and it's called a holy moly. We don't really know. We're still trying to figure it out, but it's a holy moly, right? So, but what I've noticed is not too many songs have ever been written about us being holy or even mention us as believers being holy. Why? Because it sounds too far. It sounds like something we shouldn't say. The word holy even sounds like it belongs to God and shouldn't be thrown about, right? And really, if we're only to hear these two scriptures isolated by themselves, right, you would probably be left wondering, are we holy or are we not? It's kind of like the little flower, to be holy or to not be holy, to be holy or to not to be holy. Only that's like, I love you, I love you not kind of thing. I know. But... Um, I think in order to know the answer to this question, we have to treat Scripture like my friend did with the fossil, right? If that paleontologist had to take that fossil and compare it to other fossils, had to compare it to other skeletons, had to look and see the whole picture, how much should we do the same with Scripture? How much should we take Scripture and compare it to other Scriptures? So let's take a look at what Peter said again, it says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Anytime you see that word, for it is written, know that the writer is using it to add emphasis or to support 
um, their argument or teaching. In the New Testament, the only writings they had at the time were the Old Testament. The entire Bible wasn't written, and I know we could get into it like it was the Torah and all that that stuff, but it wasn't completed until 96 AD with the book of Revelation. So when Peter said, for it is written, um, the truth is he was actually quoting from a well-known verse in the Old Testament. If you go to Leviticus 11.44, it says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself and be holy because I am holy. The word holy actually means like if you were to look it up in the Greek, it means sanctified or it means set apart. And this is what Moses, way before Jesus came, was speaking to the Israelites from God and telling them, yes, be holy, separate yourselves. He was saying, be different than the other countries around you. And that's still God's desire for his people. Ever since the fall of man, Adam or God, or with Adam, God has always wanted everyone to become holy. But, and that's a big mastodon but. The difference between holiness commanded in the Old Testament and what's found here in Peter is that God has already made us holy in Christ, right? He has already set us apart and saved us. So Old Testament holiness or sanctification, which those are synonymous words, was a command for the Israelites, God's people of the day. And New Testament holiness or sanctification is a result of what Jesus did. I'm going to say that again. Old Testament holiness was a command for the Israelites, New Testament holiness is a result of what Jesus did. The word holy in the Greek, yes, it means set apart. And I don't think the Greek definition of holiness is wrong. I'm not going to argue with the Greek scholars. Uh, But I just think it's a little incomplete. In fact, if you just were to look at the Oxford English Dictionary, right, it says that the word holy in the Old English means how, which um, means free from injury or whole. If, if you were to look up the Web, Webster's word histories, right, is all, it's also Old English, and it means halig, which means whole or healthy. So I present that holiness actually means wholeness. Holiness actually means wholeness. To say that God is holy is to refer to his wholeness or fullness, right? God lacks nothing, and he is unbroken, undamaged, unfallen, and completely complete and entire within himself, So when it says in 1 Peter, so be holy in all you do, Peter is just encouraging us to make choices to reflect who we are as whole people. Um, In the New American Standard Bible, it says, "Be uh, be holy yourselves in every aspect of your conduct. The expanded version, it says, but be holy in all you do, your behavior, your conduct, just as God the one who called you is holy. So your conduct, here, I want to explain, your conduct equals behavior, and your behavior equals your conduct, right? So here's a couple rhetorical questions, okay? I know you guys can't answer me from home, but a couple rhetorical questions uh, that I want to say. Does our behavior or our conduct define us? Does our behavior or our conduct define us? In other words, are we defined by our behavior? Um. So we're in Peter, right? We're talking about Peter. But I want to bring up to you guys another Peter. I don't know if you guys have heard of this other Peter, but this is a friend of mine. He's a uh, superhero. He's called Peter Parker. Anybody ever heard of Peter Parker? Like he's a pretty, pretty cool guy. He's Spider-Man. Um, and I want to reference uh, the movie Spider-Man 3, which is, I would say, is probably the worst movie ever. Uh, there's a guy named Gabe Wells that recommends it highly. So maybe take that up with him. I, I tried to tell him about movies. He's just learning. So... But Spider-Man 3, 
uh, is probably the worst Spider-Man movie that ever came out. Um, and there's this one scene, the reason why that is, is there's this one scene that is just super awkward. It's just really awkward. It's actually where, if you remember this movie, it's where Venom was introduced, right, in this movie. And it, the Venom uh, alien-type species got onto Spider-Man's suit. And when Tobey Maguire went to go put on this suit, all of a sudden he started acting weird. I don't know if you guys remember it, but he started acting weird. He slicked his hair all sideways, and he's like, cha, 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 right? And then he goes to this, uh, this restaurant, turns it into like a club, and he's like shooting all these like spiders. Like he's doing things that he shouldn't. He's kind of showing off his skills, and he's just acting strange, right? And, uh, and there's even people that are calling him out on it. Um, you know, the girl, she's calling him out and saying, what are you doing? Why are you acting this way, Peter? She, she's confused. There's other people that are confused. There's even the saying, um, with great power comes great responsibility. All those things, right? But the truth of the matter is, is in that moment, Spider-Man wasn't any less Spider-Man. He wasn't any less um, Peter Parker. He was still Peter Parker. That's why everybody was confused because his behavior wasn't lining up with exactly who he was. And so um, the question, was, was he any less Peter Parker? Was he, was he, now here's what I will ask is, was he a better, was he a better Spider-Man when he wasn't acting that way? Yeah, he was definitely a better Spider-Man when he wasn't acting that way. He was thinking about other people and he was saving the planet and he was doing all sorts of awesome things right, when he was being the Spider-Man that he was supposed to be. But his behavior never affected who he actually was. In that same way, when your conduct doesn't seem holy, it doesn't mean you are no longer holy, right? 1 Peter 1.15 is just saying, don't forget to allow your holiness to affect your behavior. That's all 1 Peter's talking about. In other words, we were already set apart. When we don't allow our holiness to affect our conduct, we are acting untrue, to how we were designed, it is ill-fitting. Now that word ill-fitting, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but it's kind of a funny word. It's mentioned in a few different scriptures. Um, but the ill-fitting Ill word means of a garment or of the wrong size or shape for the person wearing it. All right, so I'm gonna tell you guys, I don't wear hats. Um, if you guys ever catch me wearing a hat, it's, it's a strange day because I just don't let people see what I look like with a hat on. So this is a strange day today, all right? So, um, but basically, why I don't wear hats is they're ill-fitting, right? I mean, like, it doesn't matter what hat I'm wearing, I look weird, okay? I can try, I can try to look better, um, and, and uh, I, I would even say, um, am I any less Matt because I'm wearing the hat? Some might say yes. Some might say you are way less of Matt because you're wearing that stupid hat, all right? Even to the point where my wife, if she sees me with a hat, she'll say, take that thing off, you look stupid, okay? And, and usually I don't, I, I'm kind of slow, I don't really understand what she's saying um, when she says I look stupid, um, but I kind of just like, okay, maybe I should take the hat off. Um, but verse 15, all Peter is saying is when you don't reflect good behavior, you look stupid. He's saying take the bad behavior off. You would look so much better when you were not wearing something that doesn't reflect who you already are. 
And truth is, it's not up to us to make ourselves holy. If you think that, that's a big pile of Mastodon poop. We're still talking about Mastodon, so I'm bringing the Mastodon back around, okay? Big pile of Mastodon poop if you think it's up to you to make yourself holy. See, I think most people can agree that we have a form of holiness. Most churches you would hear, they they would say we have a form of holiness. And that one day when we get to heaven, then we will be fully holy or holy, holy. But to think that we are fully holy or holy, holy now, right now seems kind of crazy, especially because we still mess up. We still make mistakes, right? And my question today is, when are we made holy? When are we sanctified? I think that's the most important question. And I think some of you guys might say, well, Matt, you're getting a little bit deep. We don't need to talk about those things. Like, why do we need to know when we're made holy? Like, why don't we just wait till we get to heaven and we'll just figure that thing out. Let's not ask all those serious questions. So... Susanna Dudieva, if I'm saying her name right, uh, if I'm not, that's okay, correct me later. Uh, She once said, the most painful questions are left unanswered. The most painful questions are left unanswered. When are we holy is a question we can't afford to leave unanswered. It would cause people to draw strange conclusions, right? Similar to when the first car was ever made. I don't know, um, being we're talking about mastodons, and we're, uh, I, I'm kind of in this history mode. I want to give you guys a little history lesson, if you guys can hang on there with me. But the, the question is, when was the first car ever made? And uh, a lot of people would have opinions about that. Like some people actually say that the Tesla is the first car ever made. I, I think that's a strange comment, but some people would say, Tesla is the real car, Matt. It's the real deal, and everything's going to be built off of that. Or some people might say muscle cars are the best cars. Like those are it, man. Like I'm talking like Mustangs, Camaros. Uh, You got like all the other good stuff that I could go on and on. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I used to believe, and you guys can agree with me at home if you want to, but I used to believe that the Model T Ford was the first car, right? Like that Henry Ford, he made the first car ever. And I really did believe that to the point where I would point out the Model T as we're driving in the car and be like, look, that's the first car ever made. Look, that's so amazing, right? Um, And I think most people would say that. But actually the first car was invented 144 years before that, 144 years before that. In 1769, the first steam-powered automobile capable of human transportation was built by Nicholas Joseph. In 1808, Hayden Wichit designed the first car powered by an uh, internal combustion engine that was fueled by hydrogen. In 1885, Carl Benz, do you guys recognize the name Carl Benz, um, developed a petrol or gasoline-powered automobile. This is also considered to be the first production vehicle as Benz made several other identical copies. Finally, it wasn't until 1913 that the Ford Model T was created by Ford Motor Company five years prior, became the first automobile to be mass-produced on a moving assembly line. By 1927, Ford had produced over 15 million Model T automobiles. So yes, the car is forever changing and improving. But to say that the car began in 1913 with the Ford Model T is an incorrect statement. It's incorrect. Just because we are growing and maturing as believers doesn't mean we are still being made holy or sanctified. So when are we made holy? When are we made holy? This next verse is basically God speaking through Paul. And I think that it sums up a lot in this next verse. Acts 26, 18 It says, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, and they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who 
have been sanctified by faith in me. Those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Look at your neighbor at home. I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to say, I'm a have been. Go ahead. Then I want you to look at the other neighbor, and I want you to point at them and say, you're a have been. You're a have been, right? And so uh, Acts 26, 18, it says, those who have been made holy by believing in me. And, and as the old hillbilly would say, if we have been, then we is. If we have been, then we is. If we have been made holy, then holiness is not something we need to work on. In fact, the word made takes us out of the equation, right? That word made takes us out. We were not in the process of becoming holy. If we were made holy, if we have been made holy, that completely eliminates our name from the process of becoming holy. To open your eyes that they may turn from darkness to light. So when did holiness happen? When our eyes were opened, when they turned from darkness to light that they may receive the forgiveness of sin. When did we become holy? When you received the forgiveness of sins. Don't, we don't take holiness, or we don't take forgiveness. We don't make forgiveness. You receive it, an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. If you have received forgiveness of sins, you have been sanctified or made holy. Received forgiveness of sins equals sanctified and holiness. They happened at the same time. So basically, like, if you had a, a bottle that said forgiveness of sins on it, you could turn it around and read the little small print, and it would say sanctified and holiness, right? Sanctification and holiness is a byproduct of receiving forgiveness of sins. The win is so important because if you think you are headed towards something that you have already passed, you can go way longer than you should have. Um, we used to live out in Arizona. Uh, I can't remember. It was back in like 08. And uh, we used to live out there. And my wife had a little Toyota Corolla. Um, and, and the area that we lived, it was 6,000 above seat level. And we lived right next to a town called Prescott, Arizona. It was a beautiful area. It has mountains all over the place, tucked up in the woods. And anytime people would come out, I would take them on a tour. Like, we're going to go check out the mountains and we're going to go check out some things. And so my cousin, Mark, I remember he came out to... Uh, Arizona to come check it out. And I'm like, let's load it up. And so we got in the Corolla and we loaded up in this two-wheel drive vehicle, front-wheel drive, like little bitty black car that's my wife. She's working, thinking that, you know, we're just chilling or whatever. So we're going up into the mountains and there's snow all up in there, okay? So we're cruising. And, and what I wanted to do was I wanted to show him um, like a cave. I wanted to show him this mining cave while we were up there. But because of the snow, the cave was actually covered over. And so we passed right past the mining town. We passed right past um, the cave, and we kept going. And, and I don't know how many miles we went, but we went way up into the woods to the point that we were coming down this hill, and we got stuck at the bottom of the hill. Well, this ATV started coming around. It was flying around the corner, and then he just stops. You know, he's got all-wheel drive, and he just kind of puts his hands up like, could you get out of the way, please? And we're like, we're trying. We don't know what to do. Um, we're stuck down here. And so you think he'd help us, but he didn't. And so we, we decided we're going to get out, and my cousin went to the back, and I went to the front, and we literally spun this car at the bottom of this hill, even though there's a cliff that we could just literally fall, fall off and die, no big deal. But we spin this car 180 degrees to the other direction, and then we went back up the hill and barely made it out. And we actually saw the cave on the way back, but because... and. 
And also when I spun that car around, I, sc- I forgot, I scratched Ruthie's car all up. I made it look really nice. And, uh, but I was so stressed out from that process that when we saw the cave on the way back, I said, forget the cave. We're just going home. We just went home, right? And what I'll say about that is if you don't realize you've already passed something, you can experience a lot more pain. And that's how this thing with holiness is. If you don't realize you're already holy, you can experience so much pain trying to reach for holiness, trying to reach for something that you've already passed, that you've already come to. Let me give you guys a few scriptures. Right? So holiness is not something we are trying to become. It is a place we are working from. Let me give you a few scriptures that help us to see the whole picture, if you will. Hebrews 10.10, it says, and by that will, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That's Hebrews 10. We have been made holy. Hebrews 10.14, right? It says, and by this one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time, okay? And then uh, 1 Corinthians 1.2 It says, to God's church in Corinth, you have been made holy because you belong to Jesus Christ, right? You have been made holy because you belong to Jesus Christ. So when do we receive Jesus, right? So when do we receive Jesus? We are working from a place of holiness is is when we receive holiness. No, don't keep striving for holiness. Just walk in it. See, for a lot of years, I was given fossil-like scriptures, right? You guys have probably even heard some of these scriptures before. Like, be holy. Be holy. Like, reach for it. There's even a scripture uh, that says to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word also means wholeness or holy, right? And they, they gave me these scriptures uh, with a good meaning heart. Like, they really wanted to, to help, right? And... Um, these same people, they would tell me, it's not enough just to receive forgiveness of sins. That's just the starting line. Now you need to maintain your holiness, right? And I was told we need to strive to be holy like he is. And so for years, I thought I could climb the mountain of holiness. All the while, just scratching, scratching myself up and just realizing, man, I'd fall back down to the bottom and just realize there's no way I'm ever, ever going to be able to make myself holy, And I spent tons of time trying to transform myself into becoming more like him, trying to keep myself unspotted from the world, right? Trying to keep myself untainted. And can I tell you, that is an impossible task to strive to be holy. Why? Because of scriptures like this. As he is, so are we in this world. We we can't be any more holy than we already are. And I'm going to say something that, that I think is I would have not said 10 years ago, right? But we are actually at the pinnacle of our holiness, right? We're at the pinnacle of our holiness because as he is, so are we. That's why we can say things like, I have the mind of Christ, greater is he that, than, that is in me than he that is in the world. And there's therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Paul said, in him we move and live and have our being. He said that in Acts, right? That we move and live and have our being. And God couldn't live in us and we couldn't live in him if we weren't already holy. In other words, he wouldn't make his home in a halfway house, right? We can't get any more holy and good news, we can't get any less holy. And all Peter was saying in 1 Peter was that we 
are to walk out our holiness. We're to allow this amazing holiness or wholeness that God has done on the inside of us to affect the outside, right? So others can see what has been done on the inside, not by anything of our strength, not by anything that we could do, but all by the power of Jesus Christ. When are we made holy is a question we can't leave unanswered. It's when we received the forgiveness of sins. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, God, uh, for everybody that's at home today. God, I thank you, God. You're just doing so many good things in our lives. And uh, we ask that you just continue to speak to us during this time. And uh, we trust in you and all that you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.